Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Martirio Podcast. My name is Brett McCaw, your host. I'm joined today with Father Jason Sharon. We're the uh, co-host for the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we're recording today actually on Memorial Day. It's a beautiful Memorial Day. Uh, and in the leave-taking of the Paschal season, we actually had the last Sunday of Easter yesterday. Uh, and of course, uh, celebrated our Lord's glorious and triumphant ascension to the Father on Thursday. Father, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Doing very well. We couldn't be doing any better. We're, we stand between these two luminous pillars in the church's life, uh, that of uh, ascension and that of Pentecost, um, departing from one and anticipating the other. And um, I think that that uh, uh, reality on the church's calendar is a beautiful metaphor for uh, our life uh, here in, in on God's green earth. You know, we uh, we stand between uh, two great two great um, epiphanies, as it were: the epiphany of being born into this world, and the the greater epiphany of of being born into the next. And so we have a, a, a limited window of opportunity, and uh, we we should make the best of it. Well, on that spiritual note, Father, would you open us up in a prayer before we begin our discussion today? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You ascended in glory, O Christ our God, giving joy to your disciples by the promise of the Holy Spirit, and assuring them that through your blessing that you are the Son of God, the Redeemer of the world. Glory be to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this is actually, friends, our second podcast. And you know, as we explained uh, in our first and introductory podcast, when we spoke primarily about the situation um, in Ukraine and its spiritual dimensions, uh, our podcast course, the name Martirio is a, is a coined Greek word. It's actually used uh, in several different ways in sacred scripture, in particular in John's first chapter, in describing the action that John the Forerunner, John the Baptist, um, had with regard to uh, Christ, who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. So Martirio is the verb, literally, to give witness Right to attest to what has been seen and heard, and experienced as uh, in the light of faith, um, and it's no surprise, of course, um, that martyrio in English is where we get the term martyr. Uh, our concept of martyrdom, I think, in contemporary English, is you know someone who suffers, which that certainly is the case, but a a prior meaning to that probably more a central meaning, is in fact one who gives testimony, right? Who, who, who stands on the truth that they have seen and experienced and know at the, uh, at the depth of their heart. And that's what we're all called to do uh, with the faith, uh, having encountered the incarnate one and been redeemed by his paschal mystery, to give testimony. And of course, the martyrs, who are is you know the book of Revelation the the, the robed army of those who suffered for the faith um, they are the epitome of this that they have given testimony to uh, to he who is the light of life uh, to the point of shedding their blood of course um, so that being said our point with this podcast is to to give testimony of the truth especially in the um, the context in which we find ourselves. Um, and part of that is often, oftentimes um, having some con conversation and commentary about where the culture is going. In particular right now, the last few days of May uh, in 2022, uh, in addition to the geopolitical tumult in Ukraine, um, domestically here in the United States, uh, we are in pretty... Um, I would say, high intensity and historic times. Um, at the beginning of this month, in particular in, on May 2nd, I believe, uh, it was leaked 
that the Supreme Court, uh, during its ongoing deliberations uh, in terms of making a decisive decision on the Roe versus Wade uh, legal decision, which has been on the books uh, since 1973, it was leaked that more than likely uh, from the hand in particular from Justice Alito, that more than likely uh, that would be overturned. And of course, following that, we, we saw and experienced the, uh, the warming up of tumult uh, that came upon that, um, especially in the first couple weeks. Uh, in particular, uh, the protests outside of the Supreme Court, um, and also the intimidation campaigns that we saw among many political activists uh, outside of Supreme Court justice homes and so forth. So, um, Father, uh, enough of my blabbering on. Uh, that was kind of a, a long-stated uh, introduction, but... Uh, Let's talk a bit about, you know, the pro-life issue. This has been the, you know, I would say number one moral issue of our time uh, and social justice issue, if you will, to use that term. Um, of course, I'm an American. You're a North American. You're a Canadian. Uh, we inhabit the same cultural space, right? However, obviously, your experience of the abortion issue is a bit different because the legal uh, details are a bit different. Yeah, you know, Roe v. Wade is not a, a, a binding in Canada, uh, but obviously you have something equivalent. Yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> Americans, I think, are would do themselves a great favor to see this as uh, a, a broader um, uh, cultural uh, shift uh, against life, against God, uh, and against the transcendent over the past, you know, well, really since the French Revolution. Um, but specifically on the abortion issue, uh, this this began happening in the 60s. Um, so uh, leading up to 73 here in the United States with the Supreme Court decision in Roe v. Wade, uh, you had a number of governments in Britain and in Canada and other countries which began to loosen uh, their, their whatever restrictions they, they did have on abortion. Uh, in Canada, we had uh, Pierre Trudeau, the father of the current prime minister, uh, we had Pierre Trudeau, who in 1968 or 69, I think it was 69, uh, introduced the omnibus, omnibus bill, which uh, liberalized um, laws uh, against sodomy and laws against abortion and, and what have you. Um, and uh, it's interesting that he, he prefaced this by saying that the government has no place in the bedrooms of the nation. Um, and you know, we here we are, you know, fifty uh, fifty plus years after that statement, and uh, the the government is very much in the bedroom of, of, of every of every household, in not just Canada, the United States, but uh, throughout the Western countries, is that the government has a vested interest in uh, setting policy on uh, you know the, the the politics of the bedroom, so to speak. Um, so this is a, a broader uh, current against life and against the human person. Um, and it's not specific to um, Roe v. Wade. It's not as though we can reverse this simply by getting enough justices to uh, undo Roe v. Wade, and therefore the battle is won. Uh, we got into this by um, uh, cowardice, and we're going to have to get out of it by courage. Uh, but the, the cowardice that led us to this point civilizationally uh, was, was coordinated. You know, it was coordinated country after country after country, um, deciding that this this was one of the things that they needed in order to have a, a quote-unquote free libertine society was to have uh, sex divorced from its consequences, which is which is children. Um, so this is this is the the, the broad uh, you know recent history of it, um, and uh, we we cannot think that this is simply going to go away by uh, one judicial victory here in the United States. Please God, we have it. You know, I, I hope it happens. But it's just the first, and we're going to have to walk back, you know, the, the cultural Marxism and the the uh, the atheism uh, and the, the the blatant disregard and devaluing of human life across the board, um, and uh, the you know the the cat is out of the bag, as the saying goes, and it, it pertains not just to life at conception, but it also pertains to the way we look at life um, at at death, you know, the other end of the life spectrum. 
um, because we know that in Canada and in uh, Netherlands and in many countries uh, in our own here, and, and you look at Oregon, yeah, the Pacific Northwest, that uh, you know this this same disregard and and, and callous um, uh, antipathy towards life that we we see in uh, in, in utero is is now present um, in in the nursing homes of the land. Hmm. You know, I think it's rather interesting that you. You hinted at a paradox, the paradox of uh, libertine morality, right? Um, and this is something that you know even the, the the American founding fathers seemed to to have a bit of an inkling of, right? That uh, you know, in, along the same theme is is I think John Adams who said that you know our our particular constitutional republic is meant for a moral and religious people. Yes. And, uh, you know, to kind of riff on that, uh, the reality is, is once you remove not just the institutions, but I would say really the institutional, uh, the institutional buttress of personal virtues, right? Namely, uh, a sense of moral and religious practice that regulates the individual, right? As part of a broader, you know, religious community, right? Um, it's not like you get this, like, atomized free self that comes out of that, that when, mm -hmm. you, when you strip that away, you know? Uh, what's the, 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 the old song goes, you got to serve somebody, right? And so in that vacuum, when you no longer have that support of living out a virtue-based virtue, virtue -based and regulated, morally regulated life, who steps in in the vacuum? Well, the state. The state, yeah. The state, right? And so, you know, even in the United States, and I think you were in the states at the time under the Obama administration, mm -hmm. um, this was on full display with the HHS mandate from the Health and Human Services Department, right? Yeah. Where a lot of that was sort of the first major clash on the the question of sexual morality and namely what it was was that the obama hhs mandate headed by uh, kathleen sebelius who was a catholic by the way um basically claimed that and insisted that uh catholic organizations especially healthcare organizations had to fund particularly contraceptives and abortifacients as part of their their healthcare plan that they would provide for their their employees, right? So, again, it's you know the old saying goes: you hear from a lot of pro pro choice advocates, you know, uh, at different pro life demonstrations or pro choice demonstrations, you know, keep your rosaries off my ovaries, right? Well, it's more like you know, keep your ovaries off my rosary. <laughs> I mean, I think it goes the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, this gets back to the Chesterton quote from over a century ago, where he said, you know. I, Abolish the government, abolish the God, and the government becomes the God. That's right. And, and this is what we're seeing. And it's interesting that these, these new gods who purport to be merciful and understanding are uh, not merciful and they're not understanding. Mm -hmm. You look at, for example, the, um, you know, the, 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 the observation or the, the argument, rather, by John F. Kennedy when he was running for president trying to, you know, eventually become the, the first Catholic president of the United States. And his argument was that, um, you know, the, the, the authority of, of the Pope of Rome had no sway over him because, you know, we have to follow our conscience. And, and uh, um, that uh, he had this, 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 this caveat, which is actually legitimate, that we, we Catholics do follow our conscience. And the authority of the church is, 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 is true and legitimate. But at the end of the day, each person has to follow his conscience. Uh, Thomas Aquinas speaks about this. You know, even if someone were to join, for example, the Catholic Church and uh, their conscience was not convinced of it, that it was right, they would be committing a, a mortal sin, you know. Um, but the, the government is, is not like that. You know, the government is not that forgiving. And if you go against uh, the government with your conscience, the government will not respect you as the church respects you. On, on this issue, so and we we you know we saw that during the the Obama administration, with the bulldozing over of uh, the conscience rights of of healthcare 
workers, doctors, nurses, mm-hmm. uh, uh, technicians, and, um, and the like. Uh, so really this just demonstrates that when you have uh, a, a polity which supersedes conscience rights, mm-hmm. that it's not uh, a polity at all, but it is uh, uh, an epiphania. It's a revelation. It's, it's, a, it's a religious manifestation. Uh, so we have to fight like with like. And this isn't a, simply a, a fight that is restricted to the arena of, of bills and motions and um, uh, decisions in courtrooms. It includes that, but it transcends that. Uh, this is a battle which is inherently religious in nature. Yeah, no, it gets me to the, the often remembered line of Cardinal Manning, the 19th century English cardinal. He was actually uh, uh, Newman's contemporary who said that all politics at the end of the day, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, all politics are, are theological. Um, and so it's on that point that I think we really need to speak about this issue eight o'clock in the morning all right the church is reminding us just just so our listeners know uh we are recording this in the house of the lord so this is no interruption exactly the the bells that you hear tolling are uh are are the ambiance in which uh we we have situated ourselves to record these sessions and actually our lord and the blessed sacrament are just a, a less than a stone's throw away so he's more than uh, a an active participant, though, you know the eternal word needs no words to uh, participate. So let the bell tower make its interlude there. No, uh, all politics are theological, and I really think that uh, that is a dimension that has to be has to be addressed in what we're seeing right now to really understand it. And I think what's playing out in front of us, how this is being uh, received and the reaction that we're now seeing at the potential of the decision being struck down, I think is telling. If you, if you don't buy the theological bit, at least getting into some sort of psychoanalysis, right? Um, here's my point. I, I'm a child of the 1980s. I grew up, I was born in 85. So I remember in the 90s, you know, the Clinton administration coming to power. And this was, uh, this was an issue um, that had come to the fore. The pro-life movement had been gathering steam. Uh, in 1992, I think, uh, was the most significant landmark decision reaffirming Roe, which was the Casey decision. Um and I remember the, 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 the statement about abortion, which was sorting, sort of a moral punt <clears throat> on those that were a support of it. I'm not in support of it, but it's a deeply morally complex issue. And we want abortion to be safe, legal, and rare. That was something that came out of the mouth of Bill Clinton. It came out of the mouth of Hillary Clinton, actually, too. And, and, and Vladimir Putin as well. Oh, and Vladimir yeah, Putin. in 2017, yeah. you know. Well, he, he is a product of, you know, the Soviet environment that gave him initial nourishment. So we had that. We, we also had the, 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 the Kennedy Catholic, uh, you know, justification for abortion, kind of carrying on that legacy, especially from uh, Governor Mario Cuomo of New York, the... the the patriarch of the Cuomo clan, who attempted the intellectual and moral gymnastics of saying that, well, while I'm a devout Catholic and I'm opposed to it personally, I can't impose my moral religious thought on the rest of the country. My point in bringing all of that up is those are no longer the lines of support now. I, I don't think I've ever heard for the last five to ten, well, certainly the last five to six years of those that are advocates of abortion, I don't think I've ever heard that phrase right. being other safe, legal, and rare. Yeah. Uh, they, 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 they speak not in terms of end and goal, but in terms of means and expediency. 
And uh, this argument about uh, abortion being safe, legal, and rare, um, they, they don't believe it to be that. They, they believe that to be um, uh, a hermeneutic. You know, this is a way that they can kind of uh, express it and, and get what they want uh, to, to the, uh, you know, the, 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 the stupid populace, the gray unwashed masses or, or whomever they have to, uh, to please. Um, but they, they very much want it to be readily available and they, they, uh, uh, they, they simply lie. They simply lie. Um, but they was getting back to the decision uh, from the Casey, I think it was the Casey opinion in which Kennedy said that abortion and all of these uh, notions around it, you know, uh, get back to our, our own right to define the universe and meaning and existence. Mm -hmm. um, again, th this, this, th these, these bromides have nothing to do with law and jurisprudence. These are uh, religious and philosophical statements. Um, they're 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 harebrained, but they are definitely <laughs> a religious and philosophical. When you talk about you know everyone having a right to define their own notion of existence and meaning in the universe, um, it it shows their hand that this mm -hmm. that they're not writing um, laws, they're writing commandments, and that's what we that's what we're facing. We're facing um, a, a religious movement that masquerades as politics. It gets back to what Fulton Sheen said in the early 1970s, that America of the future uh, will be a country in which theology is political and politics is theology. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. what we have. You know, you have with the, um, uh, the, the statement of uh, the, the leaking of the uh, Roe v. Wade decision uh, by... Uh, by the court a few weeks ago, um, you had you had silence on the part of the hierarchy, you know, uh, because it's it's a political response. They 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 want to you know count their beans and they want to consult with their their PR team and their lawyers before they speak. Um, but if you're animated by a love of God and a love for the gift of life that He has given us, uh, then then you're you're at least going to uh, meet such news, which we've been praying rosaries and and, and liturgies for 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 decades, almost mm -hmm. five, almost fifty years. I mean, y you would think that they would come out with, a, you know, a full-throated statement saying, "Glory, Alleluia." Let's let's pray and and continue to fast and pray that this uh, that this leak is true. But there's nothing, you know. Had however a decision been leaked that the United States was going to uh, the Supreme Court was going to uh, overturn the Civil Rights Act, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, the USCCB and the bishops, they would have been speaking out loud and clear mm -hmm. that very day, mm -hmm. you know, denouncing it. Um, why? I'd hope they would be speaking out of it, out of, out of a religious principle. But part of me says that uh, there's, there's uh, a political calculus at play. Um, so so it, it's really incumbent upon us that if... If the leaders of the church are not going to exert any influence to to push the issue of life, mm -hmm. then the laity have to really. This is their hour. They they really have to uh, pick up the sword and the and the shield, and uh, and and proceed in the spiritual battle, and uh, to, to to keep to keep the the, the feet of the justices uh, to the flame that they. Uh, that they stay true to their decision if this is if what we've heard is actually true. Well, I mean, that's certainly been the case for the pro-life movement. And I'm speaking, obviously, it's been a tremendously ecumenical movement in many ways in the American, mm. uh, the American environment. Um, but especially within the Catholic context of, of the pro-life movement, it, it, it has been largely a lay a lay-run movement, despite, you know, what CNN and MSNBC and NPR want to say that this is basically, you know, this stodgy old, you know, Catholic hierarchy that are, you know, pearl-clutching and they're, you know, insisting on, you know, uh, you know, being moral tyrants on their people to hold them back in the unenlightened, you know, period before, you know, everybody found freedom you know, from, from its shackles. The reality is, is actually quite the opposite, right? That, that the pro-life movement was thoroughly lay run. I mean, you, you have obviously prelates who have, 
you know, voiced their support and given moral support. And then you have the, you know, the actual priests like a Father Frank Pavone that, you know, dedicated their entire life to this. Right. But, I mean, let's be honest, in terms of the moving and the shaking um, and getting <clears throat> things done, this has been a lay-run movement. Yes, yeah, right? the Judy Browns of America. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And another thing, I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the the Judge Kennedy support for the Casey decision back in 1992, and it goes back to that initial um, that initial saying of of Cardinal Manning uh, that all politics are theological in the end. Uh, it's no coincidence, and 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 no, I'm not you know grabbing this from some you know tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, you know, website, but it's no coincidence that, you know, the, I guess now the Satanists in the United States have their own, you know, affiliation and institution. I think it's the Satanic Temple or whatever they call themselves have come out very vocally on mainstream news and they bought up billboard uh, space in different parts of the country, very much in support of keeping abortion frequent right, and fully legal and full access, right, with literally no restrictions on it. I mean, they're very open about this, that this is, this is a sacrament for them. It is, you know. And, 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 and shame on us. Shame on us for not having that same zeal, you know, for our sacraments. You know, when they were denied, I remember during, during COVID, uh, the, um, you know, the, I preached a little bit on this, that uh, the Satanic Temple out of Arizona took... Um, I think it was the state of Arizona to court uh, for limiting access, as, as we just referenced here, uh, to uh, to abortion because this was a violation of their uh, of their religion because they viewed the killing of children as as uh, as a sacrament. Where was that zeal? You know, where was that zeal for lay Catholics and Orthodox when we we had our, our churches shut down during COVID? Mm-hmm. You know, unjustly, I might add. Mm-hmm. And I'm not speaking about the first, you know, week or two, but I'm speaking about... The, the 15 days to yeah, slow the spread. Yeah, I'm not speaking right. about that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll cut them some slack there. But, you know, let, let's go into like month number two or mm-hmm. month number three. Where was our zeal, you know, to, to, sue, for, to sue for the sacraments, so to speak? Um, and uh, th- this, this should just give us a reminder of, of the kind of religious zeal that, that we're facing here. Um, and uh, it also should be a reminder to us that the laws of physics are mirrored in the laws of, na- of, of, of the spirit. You know, the laws of physics, nature cannot, or matter cannot be destroyed. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's simply repurposed. You know, it takes on a, a gaseous form, a liquid form, a matter form, uh, a solid form rather. Uh, but it, 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 it never disappears. Mm-hmm. It just moves el- elsewhere. And it's the same with the spiritual laws, is that if we do away with piety, zeal, faith, then it's not as though those qualities, those virtues disappear into the ether. Mm-hmm. They're picked up, you know, they're picked up by the, by, by the other team, you know, um, on, a, on an active playing field, there's no such thing as an idle ball. They're always chasing the ball. And, and this is what we have is that if, if we have forgotten zeal, and religiosity, mm-hmm. then the Satanists are going to pick it up, you know. And that—that's what we saw with this, uh, the, the, the you know, the Satanic Temple you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> suing for for their sacrament. Um, it's uh, it's just a reminder, you know. God constantly sends us reminders that this is all about uh, the law of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and in my point in in hearkening back to. Justice Kennedy's quote there about that it's within man's power to define, you know, the universe, his his life, and his very existence. You know, again, a yeah. paraphrase. Right. Uh, I mean, this seems to be a far more anodyne way of, you know, requoting. I guess what's the first commandment for for Satanists, and they're very vocal about it now. The only reason why I know about it is because. You see it in the press is do thou what thou wilt. Yes. Right. That's the first law, right? Yeah. So um, it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of funny that um, 
you know that that was the you know the title of the biggest propaganda film that Hitler made. You know, mm-hmm. Triumph of the, of will. the will, and you can right. see this this big a Nazi gathering of youth in Nuremberg, and they have you know the the big throngs of humanity and uh, torch processions, torch processions, yeah, right. and all these millions of automatons, really. And uh, this was the triumph of the will. You know, it was right from Nietzsche who lost his mind. You know, yeah. losing the compass of faith and fell into the abyss and we've come full circle um that the 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 abortionists are the are the nazis of the day yeah i think that this is an important dimension to remind um a lot of good willing people that are on the the right side of things but i don't know if they're if they're entirely aware of um the depth of the human situation, the spiritual situation, I would say, you know, they, they you know, I, I, mm-hmm. a case in point, um, a couple days after the leak on May 5th, uh, Peggy Noonan of the Wall Street Journal, you know, I've appreciated some of her, her stuff. I don't agree with everything she writes, but um, she wrote a, uh, an article basically saying, I think it was in the Sunday edition that uh, Rose overturning would ultimately be good for all Americans. And her point was just kind of juxtapositioning the the right and the left. You know, for mm-hmm. the right, it's going to finally get um, conservatives to speak more freely about, you know, social welfare, helping out, uh, you know, unwed mothers. Right. You know, and even if they did have some of those policies being more active and more vocal about it for the left okay maybe maybe you know for the left on the 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 side of the democratic party her point was and this is the real kicker here that that um that they would finally realize that the roe v wade was a was a a toxic you know hill to die on for them Mm. right and they would abandon that and you know, they would actually make the Democratic Party, you know, safe for many Americans, right, who over the last 50 years of pro-life movement obviously has done its job and been successful in, you know, raising the moral awareness of this issue, you know, would probably vote for the Democratic Party for a lot of its social issues, but they, but they can't, and there are people like this, they can't stomach the abortion, right? you know, issue. I, to me... Perhaps what she's saying has some grains of truth, perhaps. But, you know, it's this presumption that we somehow live in this reason-based sort of virtuous moral order, right? It's sort of the ideal type of the, the constitutional republic where we're able to come together and actually, through political and reason discourse, figure this out. Well... We don't live in that America. <laughs> I, I wish we did, right? But we don't, right? And it's it's it just struck me as being rather Pollyannish and naive about what is going to happen. I mean, this is this is going to be a um, this is going to be a rough process. If you think that this is going to be some sort of you know the debate club can get together and we can figure this out. I mean, you, you're, you're fooling yourselves. And we saw it in the last three weeks, like this month, especially the first couple weeks, what the reaction was. It's, it's hysteria. Yeah. It's hysteria. It's, it's, you know, abortion rights, you know, advocates and activists going to, you know, the houses of the Supreme court justices, right. To the point where, the Alito family had to relocate to an undisclosed location, yeah. right, for their safety. Yeah, um, it's about them being open to alternative forms of of protest, of of demonstration, which is an openness to violence. You know? you know, this this the the behavior of the uh, of the abortion supporters uh, after the leaking of the Roe v. Wade uh, decision um, really shows the truth to the world about uh, the nature of our discourse here in the debate. Um, <clears throat> those who run Congress and Senate and uh, the press w- would have us believe, as you alluded to, w- they would have us believe that we 
uh, live in um, kind of a uh, ancient Greece in which there's reason discourse and there's this fair exchange of ideas and the better argument wins. Uh, so, uh, but the fact is, is that we're, we're not engaging in a struggle with Aristotle. Um, we're engaging in uh, a struggle with uh, Artemis, you know, in, mm -hmm. in the temple. Mm -hmm. This is a, this is a battle in a temple. Or not, Dionysius. Or, yes, yeah, <laughs> Dionysius. And uh, this is uh, a struggle in the temple. It's not a struggle in the Parthenon where ideas are exchanged. Um, you know, the, <laughs> kind of what this reminds me of is is that um, cycle that <clears throat> uh, occurred in, in Greek mythology, um, wherein, you know, the people become overcome with, with hubris, you know, this, this grandiose sense of pride and arrogance. Um, and, and what happens next cyclically, there's a, a cycle here is that, um, after that, the gods send upon the people, um, this, this, uh, what can only be described in, in its Greek term as atis, which is, uh, I mean, it's just basically, um, uh, abuse, you know, from, from the, uh, blindness of your passions, you're, you're led into committing all kinds of abuses and, and that elicits from the gods, nemesis you know this um this wrath the wrath of the gods um and the, the consequence of their wrath on the face of the earth is tissus which is destruction you know and then then man has to start over again he's very humble and he has to cobble together some kind of existence and then uh he he, he you know he works his way up to something and then hubris sets in again um, and and that, that's what we have in one sense with, with modernity is th th from all of the accomplishments that, you know, accrued coming out of the Industrial Revolution um, and the, the, the great American experiment, you know, we became filled with this hubris that we are the masters of life. Um, and it, it's led us right into, you know, uh, nemesis with the, the wrath of God, so to speak. But the difference for us, though, is that, you know, God's wrath doesn't end with destruction necessarily. Uh, we depart from the pagan Greeks on that because the next step isn't necessarily TC's destruction, but it can be repentance. And you look at David, you look at, uh, you know, Paul, you look at, at Peter, um, is that uh, when you go through this and you fall into, as, a, as an individual or as a collective society, you fall into that you know, demonic spirit of hubris and pride and all the abuses that come from it, uh, even after God sends his wrath, that there's the chance for restoration and redemption. And that, that's, that's certainly what I hope for in, this, in the, the chaos of these days, that the people who are so intoxicated by this false spirit of autonomy and this religious fervor of, of uh, baby killing uh, will, will wake up. And as everything begins to fall apart, because you cannot keep a family of nations together um, or a nation of families, mm -hmm. if you cannot value the most elementary building block of that, you know, mm -hmm. a little baby, things will fall apart. And I hope that in, in that, that destruction that comes out of it, it'll be a, a source of, of renewal for, for people to undo that spirit of hubris which led their forefathers uh, to, to, to set us on this path in the first place. Let us turn back to the faith of, of, our, of our early forefathers and uh, to do penance like, uh, like um, uh, the people of Nineveh mm -hmm. and uh, uh, to, set, to set our course straight again. Absolutely. And, you know, this is just to clarify, um, both of us are firm advocates of a, of a reasoned-based police, right? You know, um, faith and reason are, you know, two wings of, of the same bird, right? Um, so we're not opposed to that. But the reality is, is that um, what we are seeing right now in this nation um, you, you have to take into consideration the spiritual dimension. Mm. It, it, it's, you, you don't slaughter, how many millions of, of what's the estimate? Millions 60 million in the 60 United States. 60 million, yeah. you know, since 1973. A, a real... And, and those are... A real massacre. Those are surgical. Beyond. That's not including 
you know, those incalculable number abortifacients. of abortifacient pills yeah. that people have taken. Yeah. It, it, you don't do that in a nation. Whether, whether you're an advocate in support of it or you're ardently against, but you inhabit this space together in the nation, you don't do that. And, and, and there's no consequences to that. There are no wounds, mm. right? And so we have to, uh, we have to tap into uh, the level of spirituality, right? Uh, this is, as St. Paul says, our, our contention isn't against flesh and, and blood, but against powers and principalities. Uh, obviously, the advocate for the dignity of life is that uh, it's a question of human nature, right? Uh, it's a question of also metaphysical understanding, you know? Uh, when does something come into existence uh, at its very essence, in this case being a human being? You know, mm. Well, it's at conception. Yeah. That's, when, that's when that entity uh, now is something entirely different that's supported by you know, biology and, and, and genetic understanding. At that, at that point of fertilization of the, of the, the sperm and the egg, that zygote, right, has an entirely new genetic code that's right, separate from the father and separate from the mother, right? And now has the potential, right, left uninhibited, you know, and cared and nurtured to become a human being. That will become, you know, well, it is a human it being. It is, yeah. To, to and, become a fully, fully matured right. human person. And th this is the frustration uh, with, with our era now is that the philosophers who in times past would have been able to lend clarity to this discussion are nowhere to be found. I mean, they're, they're talking about, you know, transgenderism and mm -hmm. 18 different genders. But if you went back to a better era in philosophy, that even if the religious leaders were silent for cowardice or for money or for whatever, that you, you, could, you could count on the philosophers to lend clarity to the situation simply by you know, the reason discourse that you have, you have um, being, and you have act, and not, not to you know to get too much into the philosophy of it, but you know um, the, the being of something by the way in which it acts. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's flying, well, it, it's not a skunk. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, if it's swimming, chances are that it's it's probably. It, it, it's not going to be a, a raccoon, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so it's the same with the, the zygote, you know, is that look at how, and we have the benefit of this with electron microscopes, look at how the egg behaves mm -hmm. before fertilization, you know. And look at how the egg behaves after it's been penetrated by one sperm, you know. It treats those other sperm differently. Mm-hmm that shows us that there's a different being. It has different potentiality. Right? Exactly. You know, Something right. by its nature has, has, has happened there. Something right. has changed. And um, uh, this is not uh, a debate of science. It's, it, it's not a debate of religion. This is a debate of, of that the ancient Greeks very simply could have settled in a, in a few moments right. just by looking at the act of something. And uh, uh, we, we've just gotten away from that. So in abdicating reason, or sorry, in abdicating faith, mm -hmm. we've also done ourselves a disservice because we've abdicated uh, her twin, which is reason. And so we're going into this, 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 this chaos without the aid of, of faith and without the aid of reason. Mm -hmm. um, uh, well, you're going into a gunfight with a butter knife. I mean, that's essentially what you're doing when you... When you abdicate faith, yeah, right? um, and that's another topic. I mean, Pope Benedict himself frequently uh, wrote that once you give up faith, right, uh, your your reasoned ability to talk about the logos, right, will deteriorate very quickly. Yeah, but we we need to understand though that the very language that the Lord Jesus used. To describe hell, he used the word Gehenna. That his very language that he used for Hades, for hell, hearkened back to the act of abortion. People don't realize this. That, you know, uh, Gehenna comes from the, the word Hinom, 
the Valley of Hinnom. And we can see this in 2 Kings uh, chapter 23, verse 10. And it says, And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter to pass through the fire to Moloch. And the Israelites had adopted pagan practices of, 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 of offering up their children, you know, burnt sacrifice to the demon god Moloch. And, you know, what do you do with the, 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 the waste from this? Well, you just throw it into the valley. Which valley? Hinnom. And so uh, the Valley of Hinnom became a place of such disrepute, you know, uh, of, and it became associated with that which is the most evil of things. That by the time of Christ, uh, in speaking of hell, they just called it Gehenna, you know, the uh, variation on, on Hinnom. So our theological language of hell is connected to the very act of child sacrifice and abortion from antiquity. Um, what we're seeing in this nation now is not simply a political manifestation or a juridical manifestation or a philosophical manifestation. This is essentially uh, a religious manifestation about you know, the meaning of life and existence, as uh, our friend Justice Kennedy so, so honestly put it. You know, uh, this whole thing is about uh, the definition of meaning in the universe. Uh, it's a religious battle. And unfortunately, uh, he and many of the justices are on the wrong side of that religious battle, uh, and they see themselves as the as the uh, um, you know the uh, the executors of of existence and and uh, the arbiters of who who can have it and who cannot. We see ourselves simply as the stewards of it to protect it and to enshrine it and to value it. Yeah, and especially with regard to speaking about human nature, you know. And this is where I, I want to make the final turn uh, as we have to wrap things up here. Um, but uh, we're Eastern Catholic. Uh, we're inheritors of, of you know, the, the other lung of, of, of Christianity's apostolic uh, dimension, specifically the Greek Byzantine tradition. Um, and, of course, the Feast of the Annunciation in its significance is universal for all those who uh, follow Christ, right? Um, so it's not like we have something that, you know, our Roman Catholic brethren or even Protestant uh, brothers and sisters don't have. But we have a very, very specific spiritual focus, an incarnational focus on the Feast of the Annunciation. It's a big deal for us. Um, well, why? Because, you know, it just uh, as in the Roman Catholic tradition, they pray the uh, Angelus three times a day and... You know, it's the, the line from, from John 1, the word became flesh, flesh and dwelt, and dwelt among, among us, us, at which point we, you know, all genuflect. Uh, well, this is the feast day that if, if we're talking about the first major shot to the, the, the enemy of this world and the kingdom of sin and evil, this is it, right? And incidentally, it's March 25th, nine months to the day before Christmas Day. Uh, it's not at Christmas that we understand that heaven and earth were, were, were merged, right? Um, we celebrate our Lord's birth in humility, right? Is the, the, the king of the world, right? Laying in a manger. It's at this feast day in which, and I wanted to pull up the, our traditional festal Menean for Annunciation. Unfortunately, I couldn't find it. Mm. Um, but it is really beautiful. It's, you know... Within the womb of the ever-virgin Theotokos, uh, you know, the word is made flesh. The heavens are, are, are brought down, condescend to, uh, to all of us here below. So um, the reality is, is that, that, that that's, the, that's the, the starting point for us, right? I mean, that's, that's, he raises our our human nature that begins at conception, just like his incarnation that saves us begins at conception, right? And he raises that to uh, to participation in the divine nature. At the That's, ascension, yeah. you know, and he, he doesn't leave it uh, behind as some relic or some kind of uh, stage prop that an actor leaves on the stage once the uh, the curtain draws. No, you know, when, when he finishes his earthly mission, he takes our human nature with himself, and he unites it eternally to the Godhead. Such is the, the value and the esteem and the love 
that God has for our humanity, that he wants it united to himself forever, like a, like a bridegroom wants to be united with his bride forever. And he doesn't simply, uh, you know, go through the vows, spend a, a night with her, and then ride off and never see her again. No, he wants to spend his whole life with his bride. And this is what our Lord shows us from the time of the, uh, of the Annunciation, uh, through those, those 40 weeks in the womb of the Blessed Mother of God, through his 33 years traversing the face of the earth, through his three days in the tomb, and to his ascension to the Father is that he wants to be united to our humanity forever, to restore it and to present it as first fruits to the Father. Let us pray. Eternal Father, we ask, we beg, we implore you, you who are so good, you who give us life, that you would protect us with your mighty arm, that you would guard us from all evil, that you would noble us, empower us to be stewards of your holy and great gift, life itself that through our action of being stewards of life, others may come to see that this life we have is but a preparation for that life that you wish to bestow on us, life without end in your kingdom. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Father, for the final blessing. And friends, thanks for joining us. Uh, join us again. We hope to have another show uh, coming up fairly soon. Uh, and let us pray, especially uh, at this time in our country's life. Uh, those of us, our friends who are joining us who are uh, not living in America, pray for America right now. Pray for the pro-life movement that uh, at this very decisive moment, uh, decisions will be made on the side of the dignity of life and the dignity of goodness in truth and virtue in respect for the most vulnerable. Uh, God bless you all. May the Lord bless and protect uh, your families. May the Blessed Mother uh, protect you with her prayers. And uh, let us pray, especially this weekend and Memorial Day for all those who have uh, bravely served uh, their nation and uh, given of their life and their service uh, to defense of of this country. Until next time, God bless you. This is Martirio Podcast.